<laughs> yeah, and his buddy Steve Rapaski is with him today. We'll get to those two in just a moment. But if you're the 10th caller at 412-922-1020, you're going to win a $25 gift certificate to Sorgles. Now, got a lot to get to, but you are always welcome to participate at 866-391-1020. Now, here he is, the host with the most, the star of the show, Mr. Doug Oster, DougOster.com. Well, good morning, Rob. I ran into somebody that uh, sent their regards to you, somebody we used to work with here at the studio. Jessica. Yes. I spent a couple hours with Jessica yesterday, and uh, she made me homemade mint tea. Nice. Would have rather had a beer, but (laughs) I'll sip on tea. But, oh, my gosh, her garden looks just absolutely great. And if you don't follow her on social media, you should because – Boy, I'm telling you, that garden looks great. We had a lot of fun talking about the old times, Rob, that the three of us had together here uh, doing the show together. Uh, Jessica was the co-host with me uh, starting in 2005. And then how long do you think she's been gone, Rob? Those were the Morrison years. I don't really remember too much of those years. Almost six years. At least six years. We miss her. We had a great time talking about gardening and talking about working together. Uh, so as I said, follow her on social media. She's got lots of good stuff there. It has this thing called Savvy Gardening, which is a big deal, big national uh, gardening site. So first off, uh, welcome to the show, Steve. It's a pleasure to be back Steve, with you guys. R- Steve Rapaski from Bee Control and Meadowsweet Apiaries is going to talk when we get back from the break uh, all about spotted lanternfly and how we've got an early emergence of yellow jackets and all sorts of stuff. We're going to talk about pollinators and so uh, you've been crazy busy. <laughs> oh. <laughs> crazy busy is not the word for it. Yeah, it's been um, earlier than usual for a number of species, um, yellow jackets and bald-faced hornets especially. And we're seeing, of course, the increasing calls from the spiral lanternflies that are seem to me much more prevalent this year than oh, prevalent this year than definitely. the years past. I found them at my own house, which I can tell you, my wife did not. Does not do yeah, well with those. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll be talking about all that when we get back from the break, especially that spotted lanternfly. I posted something that we're going to be talking about this, and on Facebook, it just went nuts, you know. And I also want to talk about these crazy, ridiculous uh, homemade recipes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> can you know, of worms. Mrs. Mrs. Know it all uh, railed against uh, homemade recipes a couple weeks ago, and and I can't stand them either. But you know, people just post this stuff. Uh, we'll talk about it. Yep. So uh, get to the nurseries because it's bargains, bargains, bargains. I was just online today and I was uh, this morning looking at uh, all the different nurseries and gosh, they're they're This is the time when you can go and get you know all sorts of annuals and even vegetables if you you know if you've got an open space. If something didn't make it, uh, if you've got got to uh, fill up your containers. And one of the tricks that I always do this time of the year is I wait for those lilies to stop blooming in the nursery. Then they're impossible to sell, <laughs> and I swoop in and get <laughs> some good deals. Yeah, but then you got to wait a year for them to bloom. But they're now from you know previous years; they're all blooming now. I stick them in the vegetable garden because uh, it's fenced in, and the, the uh, deer can't get to them because they would eat those lily buds like crazy. My deer problem: I spooked uh, four bucks yesterday, and then there is a. Mama and two babies running, and then some does running on their own, too. So it's just, and they have no fear. You know, the bucks ran, you know, but the does, you know, even with the babies, they're just, they're not that afraid. Sounds like my resident groundhog that I'm dealing with. Oh, nothing worse than having a groundhog. How much garden do you have? 
Well, I have that pollinated garden now, so oh, my veggies are safe because they don't exist. But they're going <laughs> after. He's going after my um, black-eyed Susans and you know just chomping them down before they even get to bloom. So yesterday in Jessica's garden, she has this brand new garden all fenced off, so the deer can't get in there. And she picked blueberries and left them uncovered. And within ten minutes, a squirrel was going across oh. the top and feasting on blueberries. They know. They're watching. Oh, I know. Uh, I'm about to start really picking tomatoes. That's tomatoes awesome. are coming in. Uh, the early girls are coming in. I've been picking some cherries. Let's see. What else to talk about? Well, another planting window. Whenever we have rain and the humidity is going to drop tomorrow, uh, you know, I'm always looking for the right day to plant because, uh, believe it or not, I still have plants sitting around. The, I got rid of some yesterday, actually, when I went to Jessica's. I said, do you want a few of this and that? She says, yeah. And then I just loaded up a flat so that I could get rid of them. I brought in three pepper plants for producer Zach. Uh, this is his, I think, first garden. So we'll see how that happens. But yeah, great planting window. Still time to throw in some hot peppers. You know, if you didn't put peppers in, you know, those little hot peppers, they come quick. I've got uh, a third crop of beans up, but you could pl- still plant bush beans, Swiss chard, arugula, beets, kale, all sorts of stuff. Uh, and mulch, mulch, mulch. You know, that keeps the weeds down and will uh uh, get this soil to stay evenly moist and save the, the rain that we're getting. And like I said, I got the beans up, my bush beans and some pole beans are up. But I tried uh, chickpeas for the second time. Last year they didn't sprout. This year they're sprouting. And so my wife wanted me to grow chickpeas. And so I don't know anything about how to grow them or I think it's just like beans. So we'll see how they do. Uh, and... Two years ago, I ordered all these seeds to have the year of the foxglove. Well, I didn't get any of them started. So <laughs> this year, <laughs> this year is year of the foxglove. In fact, those were uh, two of the uh, plants that I gave Jessica yesterday. Growing perennial foxgloves from seed, and so most of the foxgloves that we grow are, are called biennial, uh, meaning that they'll the first year is foliage, second year is flower, and then they're gone. Uh, luckily with that plant, it throws seeds everywhere. So you get foxglove everywhere with a perennial though. It's just like your standard, anything else perennial. It comes back year after year after year. And so we've got a couple different varieties. We'll see how they do. I know for sure. One thing, the deer will not eat foxglove. No, they don't touch them. Yeah. Uh, thank goodness. So there's, there's one thing. And so, you know, it won't be a long bloom, but it'll be a nice bloom. And I've got a yellow one and then one called Foxy, which I think is like a mix of different colors. We'll see how they do. Uh, now the only thing that has to happen is they have to get out of the flats and into the garden. <laughs> That's the next hurdle. Yeah. Those are good pollinator-friendly pollinator plants as well. There's oh, a few of the little native cool. species that, that will hit foxgloves. Good, good. And then, uh, of course, my I'm always telling people what to do about their violets in the lawn. Enjoy them because that again is another great pollinator plant for a whole host of butterflies, and I think one of them is kind of a rare little purple butterfly. Yeah, I'm not sure which species that is, but yeah, there is like a I fritillary. Mean, or yeah, it, I think or it's a host plant of, of or a feeding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It might be a fritillary of some sort. So, how are the bees doing in general? Our honeybees are doing fantastic. It was a big year for honeybees. Um, Why? 
uh, just one of those years. You know, we're seeing, you know, cyclic behavior where populations are up and down. I mean, there's more and more beekeepers taking care of things. Uh, we had a mild winter, of course. Um, of course, they just did our national survey from the Bee Informed Partnership that showed Pennsylvania lost about 48% of our colonies last year. But that's also uh, can be pointed to new beekeepers still learning the ropes. And so it's not all doom and gloom type of thing. I mean, we have reasons for that to explain. Um, our native populations had a big year this year, had a number of phone calls and reports about some of our, what we call gr the true ground bees, not the yellow jackets, the true ground bees, digger bees, polyester bees, leaf cutters, the list goes on. So our natives did did very well. Um, we saw a lot of butterflies and still seeing a lot of butterflies. So I think, you know, the mild winter and the not cold and wet spring that we didn't have, which is great, you know, the spring was normal, other than that drought and some odd temperature swings, um, you know. Yeah, I was wondering about that. Because plants took took it on the chin during that cold spell that I was worried that the bees would have too. Yeah, it. Um, our biggest hurdle was we had that warm spell in early April, and then it got really hot and dry. And now we've had rain every almost every few days. So it, it balanced out, and things are looking good. We should have a good honey harvest this year too. All right. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit more to Steve Rapaski from Bee Control and Meadowsweet Apiaries, and we're going to start off with spotted lanternflies. All right. So if you have a thought or two, you want to join the gentleman today, 866-391-1020. KDK wants you to join our sister station, WAMO 107.3. Today, from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m., Sly Jock's Day of Peace, live from Salem's Market and Grill on 29th and Penn in the Historic Strip. Kiki Brown and her dad, legendary radio DJ Sly Jock, will be there live interviewing community leaders and selling limited edition Keep Peace in the Streets t-shirts to support the Iron Cross Ministries. Join them coming up shortly today in the Strip. All right, back with Doug and Steve Rapaski. Doug, you lead. I will follow. What do we do here? Well, let's go to the phones. We'll get uh, some questions answered, then we'll talk about spotted lanternflies. All right, here's Joel in Squirrel Hill for the guys on the Organic Gardener Show. Uh, hello. Hey, how are Morning. you? Morning. All right. Yeah, I um, I you know just I know you're talking about bees, but I had a problem with the groundhog and uh, ate all the leaves off my uh, cucumbers, uh, and uh, I put out cantaloupe. I, put, I went down the giant eagle, got a cantaloupe, cut it in half. I put half in a cage and I ate the other half, and sure enough, he was in that cage eating that eating <laughs> eating that cantaloupe. They love cantaloupe, and you know if you are going to trap a, a groundhog, uh, only leave that trap open during the day, right, Steve? Yeah, otherwise you yeah. end up with what we call non-target catches, skunks, raccoons, and then... What would you do if you caught a skunk? Well, in the city of Pittsburgh, mm. you call animal control. I believe oh, they'll okay. come and deal with it. But outside of that, um, yeah, you're almost left to your own devices. Just and like walk with a blanket and yeah, throw it over there? And... Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And, of course, you're you're regulated by laws from the, the Game Commission, and there's certain things we have to do with those types of animals, you know, in terms right. of relocation. So, yeah, during the day of time is the best time to... So you're not allowed to kill a groundhog? You can, but relocation is possible. But then you get into the whole topic of rabies vector species, like skunks that carry rabies, and there's raccoons. laws against relocating them, and raccoons. And yeah, but um, certainly if you're trapping nuisance animals, daytime, leave a trap open in the daytime to avoid those issues. All right, let's go to Nancy. Nancy's up next for Doug and Steve on the Organic Gardener on KDKA. Hey, Nance. Hi, how are you? Good. Good. Um, Doug, I have a question about a holly bush. I planted a blue princess holly bush um, in the fall. It's been doing really well, and the deer got at it. Mm -hmm. And in the space of about 48 hours, have stripped it completely, and now it is like what's left of it is turning black. Um, is it dead? No, 
No, I mean, it should come back. Hollies are tough as nails, but you're going to have to keep the deer off them. You know, I would, rec- yeah. I would recommend uh, fertilizing with holly tone. Uh, that's, okay. That's an easy-to-find organic fertilizer. Sure. Have some. Okay, have good. Have some of that. But uh, you're going to have to either spray it with a repellent. The one I like is is called Bobex, but there are a million different ones, and they all work. They all smell. They'll keep the, the Well, I had been spraying it with the um, the peppermint-scented um, one, and I can't think of the name of it. But um, it doesn't seem to have worked. Yeah, um, you know, the, I'm telling you, with the Bobex, it smells bad, but if it's on a plant, they will not eat it. Uh, and okay. I, I, as we said in the top of the show, I've got a really bad deer problem, and that's what I'm using to keep them off. Okay. Either that or some kind of, uh, you know, physical barrier, you know, sure. surrounding it with deer netting or something like that. And it okay. should come back. We're, we're at a point in the season where it'll it'll put on new growth. It's going to take, okay. you know, till the entire end of the season and then probably – you know, spring through midsummer next year to really get back to what it was. But okay. uh, those deer are a pain. <laughs> they cause some grief. Yeah. All right, let's keep it rolling. If you have any questions for these gentlemen, call us 866-391-1020. Here's Jay in West Mifflin on KDK. Hi, Jay. Hi, how are you? Good. Um, my tomatoes are still green and hard. It's my first year of trying container gardening. And they're just not getting ripe. All you need is patience. Don't worry about it. Just the fact, since I was talking about picking tomatoes, it's still early. A lot of tomatoes will not come in for another whole month or even later. And so one tip, though, for your container tomatoes is never let that soil dry out, okay? Because there's this this problem called uh, blossom end rot. And it happens when okay. it happens with container plants when when that soil dries out. Make sure that it you keep that moist, and you will get your tomatoes when they're ready. All right, eight six six three nine one ten twenty. You're in such a good mood today. Windy out there. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, spotted lanternfly. What is it? Uh, what does it look like right now? And how do we get rid of them? <laughs> oh boy, the our next invasive pest uh, that shows up, and um, you know they've been here in Pennsylvania since 2014 and uh, showed up back in the eastern part of the state near Philadelphia, Allentown area and have progressively made their way west. And, you know, this is another pest that's come from Asia, just like the stink bug did many years ago. And it's causing us grief. I mean, a lot of um, the crops are are at risk, you know, the hops, the grapevines. grapes. uh, You know, I was walking in the woods the other day and I don't know what the vine is, some kind of you know, invasive vine growing in the woods, and they were all over that. And I would, I, all I did was, I n- smacked that vine. They all dropped off, and I started stomping on them. Yeah, it's it's a good stomp fest for sure. Um, you know, from a homeowner's perspective, they're really just a, a nuisance, other than maybe some of your vegetable um, uh, crops that that they might hit. But um, you know, we're they're not going to enter our homes, but they're certainly all over. You know, I'm seeing them all over my deck, and uh, you know, the, it's creeping people out. But they're, you know, they're they're pretty. The adults are gorgeous. So right now we're in a nymph stage where the, I've heard some people still have the ones that are black with white spots, but then the next stage is what? So they go through 
four changes, four in, in stars, what we call them, a metamorphical change, and then into the adult stage. So right now we're seeing some of the third in star, which is black with the white spots, and then we see some which are in the final nymph stage, which is red with black and white dots. Um, and then from there they emerge into the, the large adults that we see that jump all over the place. And even mm. these nymphs are little and they're quick. I mean, they're oh, like, know it. like leapfrog, or they just, boom, they're gone. So but, organically, I'm using a combination of sometimes insecticidal soap, sometimes horticultural oil, yep. a diatomaceous earth. I don't use neem, but I've heard neem works. But somebody said Captain Jack's dead bug brew, but you have to ingest that. How does that... How does that spotted lanternfly feed? Is it a sucking insect? It's a or? sucking yeah, insect. So, 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 so Captain Jack's not going to work. Right, yeah. So you're stuck to, limited to your, like your horticultural oils, your insecticidal soap I've used. Um, and of course, there's always the other stuff, you know, the, mm -hmm. the hard chemicals when it really push comes to shove. But yeah, from a, from a homeowner standpoint, the insecticidal soap seems to work really, really well. Um, well, when we come back, I want to talk about the homemade recipes. And mm. we're talking about now pine saw. We're talking about all these other things. Uh, just, just there's a lot. Just go to the nursery and buy the right stuff. We'll <laughs> talk about the best homemade recipe is just stick to, to your <laughs> yeah. cookies. Cookies at yeah, home. Yeah. That's the that's, best homemade that's your recipe. Homemade recipe. Yeah. Joe, we got about a minute. We got about a minute. So when do you know you have too many yellow jackets? Oh, as soon as you see them. Really? Um, well, so the problem with yellow jackets is that. They're, we have to be reactive to yellow jackets because you often don't find them until you run over them or get stung by one. Mm -hmm. Then you see the nest, and you want to talk about homemade recipes. That's another oh, you know, yeah. <laughs> lot of homemade recipes out there that don't work. And, and the, the common phrase we hear is, well, I tried this, this, or this, and it just didn't seem to work. And now you've actually made the problem worse or have allowed it to get out of hand, whether it's lantern flies or whether it's yellow jackets. Uh, but, yeah, with yellow jackets, as soon as you get stung, that's when you have too many. So in 30 seconds before the break, so you're out mowing the lawn, is there any way you can do some uh, reconnaissance to just make Absolutely. Sure? So yeah, what, take, what? A, take a few minutes. Walk your yard, you know, before you're mowing the grass. And then the, the common— Just don't be barefoot. Don't be barefoot, oh. yeah. Don't, just, yeah. But scan it. Look for what we call airport activity where you see them zipping in and out, up and down, you know, that vertical movement. Uh, but what I often tell our, our clients is that if you're mowing grass, you know, we're always looking ahead to where we're mowing. Don't look at where you're mowing. Look at where you already mowed because you will pass over them, and they won't get you the first time around. But when you make that second loop, then they got you. So as you mow your grass and you're coming back around, watch the areas that you mowed because you're going to see that type of activity. That's the best way to avoid the stinging. All right. Steve Rapaski is here. Doug, of course, your host. This is the Organic Gardener Show. And, of course, you can join us at 866-391-1020. All right, we're going to tell you about that uh, incredible opportunity that you get if you're the 10th caller at 412-922-1020. You'll get a $25 gift certificate from the good folks at Janoski's where they're getting ready for Christmas in July, July 22nd and 23rd. So the 10th caller wins it at 412-922-1020. Steve Rapaski is here with Doug Oster. So, Doug, back to the phones. Yeah, let's see what uh, people have to say today. All right, Barbara, you're on the air with Doug and Steve on KDK. Good morning. Good morning. What's on your mind? No, thank you. There's always a little lag, and I never know when to when to get started. Okay. Here in Forest Hills, we started a Japanese knotweed eradication program. However, beekeepers will come up and say, "Wait a minute, the knotweed really helps me because you know the bees it flavors the honey." What kind of perennial shrubs can I say are the best to attract bees? 
after you eradicate knotweed? What a great question, Steve. So obviously we want to get rid of the knotweed, but sure. man, does that make a great honey? It's a, it's one of our best fall crops. <laughs> uh, um, and to tie it into spotted lanternflies, we're actually producing honey off of spotted lanternfly stuff. Okay. <laughs> Which is another conversation. But to, to answer your question, yeah, it's a it's a balance where it's an invasive species, but certainly it produces a great nectar source for not only honeybees, but all these other insects. But if we're eradicating them, you know, look to your things like your goldenrod, your wing stems, um, plants that will, will grow in a similar type of habitat, that wet, you know, semi-wet soils, um, I said your wing stems, uh, joe pie weed, iron weed. You know, there's a lot of natives that will bloom at the same time as that Japanese knotweed. Um, as beekeepers, we're, we're in a tight spot because we like it because of the nectar source, but it does um, push out a lot of our beneficial natives. How is that going, getting rid of that stuff? Are you guys making some progress? Well, actually, we're in year two, and I couldn't believe the progress we've made. Last year when we started, those canes were like, oh, I'd guess like a broomstick thick, real high. Now they're more, uh, they're less than like a pencil. They're there, but we uh, have noticed that there's competing plants coming in now because there's less space for them. It's working. We need another year, though. All right. Well, best of luck on that. and Get rid of that Japanese nutweed, right? Sure. Okay, good. <laughs> Kathy in Imperial. Hey, Kath, good morning. Hey, good morning, Rob. Good morning. Um, so, Doug, I have a question about planting rose bushes. I have a really nice lattice wall that's to the, the right of my porch, and there's just a bare area right there, and I'd like to fill it in with some flowering roses. But I'm just calling to ask, like, what's the best um, time to plant roses? And is there something I should know about, like, treating the soil? Yeah, so... Best time is spring, but you can get away with it. Again, you know, we talk about this all the time, looking for a planting window. You wouldn't want to plant them on a day, you know, where you're going to have four days of 86 degrees and bright sun. You want when the temperatures uh, go down a little bit, less humidity, um, nice and cloudy, a little bit cooler. And then, yeah, yeah, that rose is going to be there for decades so you're going to want to improve the soil with compost and then feed it as we get along now for that lattice will you be able to do a climbing rose i could that's that was one of the things i was thinking because that would look really good i i thought about some type of climbing um i was going to plant morning glories but i don't i don't i've never done that but i roses are more you know they come back and right and everything so, so take a look okay. take a look at um david austin roses uh, and see if you like that style of rose. That's one that I've fallen in love with. It's it's an old-fashioned type of flower, but they're all very, very fragrant. And for me, I do have some roses that don't have much fragrance, and they're tough as nails, but I always want a rose with fragrance. So just take a look at that, David Austin. And then you're gonna, you want to feed those roses, once you get them in place, about once a month with something called rose tone. And that will okay. that will make your rose go crazy. Now, if you don't want to plant these in midsummer, if you don't find what I call a planting window, they can be planted started in September, and they'll get established that way. The, the reason we plant things like that later in the season is that the temperatures and the day length are more conducive to root growth as opposed to top growth. So that rose would get its 
roots all established, sit there for the winter, and then in the spring it would go crazy for you. Okay, so if I go, because a lot of them are on sale right now, if I buy some roses now, how could I keep them? Because planting them in September with what you just described sounds way more uh, a, a recipe for success for these. So can I buy them now and just keep caring for them in their pots until September? You could, but I think you'd be better off to get them in the ground. It's it's if you miss oh. If you miss one or two waterings when they're in those containers, because... The roots have grown to such a, a, a size now where they're going to suck the water out of those containers pretty quickly. I think you'd be better off, and I think it would be okay to plant in in the summer. But just, again, look for two or three days of that uh, cloudy weather. You know, like rain coming, a little bit cooler. And then you okay. – because then they, if you bought them now on sale, you could certainly keep them going for a week or two without any problem at all. Just be sure you don't they don't dry out. And, again, on the other side – don't overwater them. And how we tell that is you just stick your finger down in that pot as far as you can. If it's dry, it needs water. If it's wet, you can wait a day. And you'll find a little planting window, and, and you can get them in place, and you'll be okay. And, and w- when we plant midsummer, water, water, water. We need to get those plants established, and you'll be fine. Uh, but, yeah, look around for some cool climbers. There's nothing better than a climbing rose going up a lattice. And there's some great old-fashioned yeah. varieties out there, and your nursery should have them. Good luck Is on that your David Austin, a climber. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's okay. David Austin has climbers. They've got you know your regular roses, and you'll find other varieties too. Just find one that you love, and in my opinion, get something with great fragrance. I love a rose okay, with thanks, fragrance. Doug. Thank you. She gardens too. She homeschools her kids. She does all of her own baking. She cooks from scratch, and she gardens too. One of my longtime listeners. They never <laughs> cease to amaze me. Pretty incredible. All right, let's go to Steubenville and say hi to Paul for Doug and Steve. Hey, hey I saw Doug Sattel, S-I-T-T-E-L, on Google. Okay, thank you. We'll say hi to Cindy and Irwin. There's a full moon. Hey, Cindy. Hi, Doug. Hi, everybody. Good morning. I just wanted to ask you, I have grass, mostly grass, coming in. I never had this bad this year. Um, coming in among my flocks and my ground cover, what can I use, like a natural solution or, you know, store solution to kill the grass without killing my flock? No, that's tough. You know, your yeah. first thing is, is you're not going to want to hear this is getting down there and pulling it by hand. Another thing you might think about doing, if you didn't want to do it that way, is get an organic herbicide uh, like uh, Avenger, have some rubber gloves on and just kind of rub that stuff onto that. But if it gets on any of the plants, it's going to kill those plants too. For uh, the gr- for the ground cover, what I would recommend is use a string trimmer and cut right at the top of the uh, of the ground cover, and that will take care of it. Because eventually, you do that a couple times, and that grass can't persist in those beds. Uh, in those beds with the flocks, I think you're gonna have to get in there. One option also would be. Just uh, bury it in, in uh, mulch. Uh, that's one of the tricks that I use for weeds is okay. just okay. when they come up again, I just, okay, have a little bit more mulch there. And the flocks will love that uh, mulch, too, because, again, keeping the that helps keep the weeds down but also keeps the soil evenly moist, all right? Yes, I guess I was pulling the grass out, but I guess I wasn't getting all the root and it was coming back. So now yeah, it's a mess. that's a pain. So thank you. 
Thank you very much. Good luck. All right, we're going to get a break. We'll come back. If you have any thoughts, you want to jump in here and talk to Steve Rapaski or Doug Oster, your host, The Organic Gardener, 866-391-1020. Larry and Marty, looking for hometown heroes. If you know someone doing extraordinary things in your community, we want to know about them. Nominations are now open at kdkradio.com. Larry and Marty's Hometown Heroes on 100.1 FM, AM 1020, KDK. Next hour, Coons Cooking Hour, Frank and I talking about pork. That's all moments away. Still to come with your Pratt Pack on KDK. All right, let's get back to Doug and Steve Rapaski. Final segment of The Organic Gardener today on KDK. Doug? Finishing up the show with Steve Rapaski from Bee Control and Meadowsweet Apiaries. And let's just touch again on everybody trying to use homemade recipes, whether it's for lanternflies, yellow jackets. It's just a bad idea. It's a bad idea in general, even from a gardening perspective. I mean, you know, you and I joke that our, the only homemade, homemade recipes we should be doing are the ones at home with right, the cookies right. and, and baking. Um, and even then, that may not turn out very well. But, uh, yeah, homemade recipes, just it, it, it can exasperate the problem. It could not you know, put you in harm's way in terms of getting stung by an insect. Um, and as you and I just said off the air, you know, do it right the first time mm-hmm. and, and don't look back. I mean, there's plenty of scientific research backing these products and, and these methods and techniques and even trapping these lanternflies. You know, homemade circle traps are great. The tape is not because it can trap birds. A bird, a bird could get on there. You know, and you try and tell people that, yeah. and they get mad. Well, birds are, are native insects. I mean, there's a lot of of negative aspects to those types of things. So stick to what works. Stick to what the professionals um, point you to, especially when it comes to controlling these lanternflies and stinging insects and things like that. So one part of gardening now is trying to help pollinators. Right. If we help the pollinators, they help us guard it. And so talk about a few little things we can do as home gardeners to attract pollinators and keep them happy. Yeah, so certainly planting pollinator-friendly plants, you know, taking that section of garden, or if you do not have a green thumb, I have a brown thumb or maybe even a black one. I've taken my garden out completely and just planted it in all pollinator-friendly gardens. I get to watch the bees and the butterflies. Your vegetables thank you, by the way. They do, I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) I know a guy that could provide me, so I'm good. Yeah. Uh, But, yeah, I mean, it's it's providing maybe not the whole garden, but that back corner of your yard that's always, you're not sure what to plant. And there's, there's plants for everything full sun partial shade you know you name it um just that little bit of habitat and you know we hear about save the bees and, and we're not necessarily talking about the honeybees it's it's all these other natives your 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 lantern fly or not lantern flies your lightning bugs yeah you know even things like that and when you mow and how you mow uh, encouraging clover to grow in your yard all the stuff that's going to benefit benefit the soils um we want to do our little small part to do that if you can't plant of course we now have a specialized plate in Pennsylvania that's a pollinator habitat plate. You could get it through PennDOT uh-huh. and personalize it. Mine says beekeeper, of course. But, uh, yeah, I mean, there's lots of ways to support our, our native insects, not only just the pollinators, but all of them. Well, you mentioned goldenrod, and some people might yeah. c- consider goldenrod and ironweed, Joe Pye weed. If it has the word weed in it, you know, but these are great plants. These aren't weeds. These are wildflowers. Yeah. You know, Joe Pye weed has become part of our landscape now as a uh, cultivated varieties there's variegated varieties of them and as long as they flower and do what they need to do for the bees and for the pollinators i'm in you know and and it's so easy to go buy a packet of seed at at your local nursery and and just hand sow it and let it just come up naturally and and you'd be surprised at what comes up uh but yeah all these you know we got to get away from classifying things as weeds um you know goldenrod is very pretty there's 
40 some species in Pennsylvania, your iron, even dandelions, you know, it's, yeah. it's beneficial. Um, and we have to get away from that. And I, I drove through Mount Lebanon the other day, and I think I counted half a dozen yards that had their front yards completely engulfed in pollinator habitat, nice. which was fantastic. Yeah. My wife elbowed me and said, Hey, how come we're not doing that? <laughs> so I got another to-do list, but, uh, yeah, there's, there's lots of ways to, you know, um, my good friends at Bloom Honeywater, you know, talk about beeless beekeeping. You know, is planting flowers and, and mm-hmm. promoting bees and beekeeping without actually having to keep bees themselves. You know, I always let a little bit of jewelweed oh, come jewel to fruition yeah. because it's actually a type of impatient. And yeah. sometimes you might know it as a water weed. It's really easy to pull out, but it's prolific because it seeds like crazy. But it's a really, I think, beautiful flower. You it know, is. Yellow, I have yellow I, or orange, and the bees love it. The bees love it, and I have some that's come up naturally in my pollinator garden. Now, I didn't put it there. It wasn't in a seed. So, But in, in a lot of these plants have other benefits. Dandelions make great salads. Oh, yeah. You know, um, you know you can, the list goes on. We could talk for hours about this, but you know, t- just take that little section of your yard and turn it into something beautiful, whether it's just a— uh, black-eyed Susan or bee balm, and it just has to be a few small square feet, and you're going to be amazed at the amount of beneficial insects you attract, which then help your garden as well. What are the things that are the negatives for pollinators? You always come up with, like, was it the four Ps? Is yeah, the four Ps, so pests, pathogens, poor nutrition, and pesticides. Um, and they, you know, that's what impacts our all of our pollinators in some form. You know, the pests... Are, are the ones that are in the hives, um, you know, varroa mites and small hive beetles and things like that. Pesticides, you know, a lot of people like to blame our agricultural friends, the farmers for it, and, and the real enemy is the homeowner. Um, you know, we go to a bo- big box store, we buy something, and we say, well, if it calls for X amount per gallon, we triple that because more is better, and, and that's actually a very bad thing uh, for the pesticides. And, of course, when we use more and more pesticides on our Gardens and, and lawns were reducing beneficial habitat, so now there's less food source. Um, you know, when we get rid of our dandelions and clover, those insects have nothing to feed on at that point. So, all those those four Ps are, are like kind of the, the foundation of saving the bees and, and trying to encourage you know beneficial plantings. How did you plant your pollinator garden? Was it just a bunch of seeds? Or I did, did yep. I went to Ernst Conservation Seeds mm-hmm. up in Meadville, who specializes in our native ecotypes. And um, I cleared the garden and pulled all the weeds, and I had a tarp over it for two seasons, actually. And uh, it's didn't, get, didn't get to it, huh? <laughs> so anyways, moving on. Um, that is very true. But it, it's amazing, too, how many of these these vines pop up even after being covered so i had a, still had a battle to there uh and i basically overseeded everything and kind of let it grow up and now this year i'm seeing where things took so i'm I'm cleaning out some of the invasive plants that you know vine weed and stuff like that that's just giving me a headache and i'm just letting it come up naturally i'm you know i'm more of the natural look not the groomed container look um but already, I mean, the seeing, lazy look, the, the the lazy look, as we call it. Yep. I, I, I use that look look in my garden too. Do, yep, yep. My lawn's the lazy look too. I don't Jessica get the. Jessica has a beautiful garden. I've got the lazy garden. Yeah, my wife's idea was to have a nice little path going through the garden, and there is. You just have to create your own as you weed whack through. But uh, it's um, yeah. I mean, I've gotten a lot of the perennials are starting to come up, and there's a couple things that didn't come up this year that I wish I had, and I think they got overcrowded, mm-hmm. and I got Mr. Groundhog I'm dealing with. So. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you make it what you want, and you know the colors are outstanding. You know purples and yellows and yeah. reds, and and the nice thing about planting a variety of perennial wildflowers is you get that 
continuous growth over the season. So you've got something blooming in April and May and June and July and August and September. And then come winter, everything dies, and I leave it go until spring because those are the areas where your native insects are hibernating. They're spending the winter, and then next spring we clean up. Steve Rapaski from Bee Control and Meadowsweet Apiaries. I'm answering questions after the show at DougOster.com if you didn't get through. Remember, organic gardeners, you make our world brighter and safer with each seed you sow and every garden you grow. And that groundhog repellent, brand new, Dirty Harry. <laughs> <laughs> All right, stay with us. The news at 8, and then Frank Dentisi. Freeze, here. groundhog. <laughs> Go ahead. Make my day. <laughs>